Today from the Global Lane, emboldened by the Taliban takeover, Iran is making moves in the Middle East. The Iranians are already uh, completing their uh, Shia crescent. It is possible that I might be looking for a broader reach. 20 years after 9-11, is America a safer country? It is far less safe. In fact, it's extremely dangerous. Another day of infamy for America, but with some positive outcomes. The backstory of what God did in the middle of 9-11. California in decline, and why Gavin Newsom may survive the recall. And it's all right here on The Global Lane. Americans are still trying to get out of Afghanistan any way possible. Some U.S. politicians say they're being held hostage by the Taliban. So what do the Taliban want? Official government recognition? Well, China, Russia, Turkey, Pakistan, and Iran appear ready to do so. A Taliban spokesman assures the world community there's nothing to fear, saying, quote, We will always be vigilant in protecting the rights of women and minorities and the freedom of speech of Afghan citizens. Well, that announcement came as Afghan women were being tear-gassed and beaten for holding protests demanding their rights. The Taliban arrested Afghan journalists and protesters scrambled to take cover when shots were fired. Well, here with more on Afghanistan and what to expect elsewhere in the Middle East is retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Sargis Sangari. Mr. Sangari is CEO of the Near East Center for Strategic Engagement. Sargis, it's always good to talk with you. So... The United States government still lists the Taliban as a terrorist organization. So should the U.S. join other countries and recognize the Taliban's newly created government, the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan? What do you think? Well, uh, they're already uh, meeting with the Taliban. I mean, when you have your CIA chief meeting with the Taliban to discuss terms, uh, that in itself is recognition when you're giving uh, money uh, to them in support of what you might be looking at as possibility of needs to get Americans out. You're already talking to them as Secretary of State of Blinken stated that we will use all economic political capabilities to ensure that the Americans are still in Afghanistan depart. The Taliban are not asking for millions, they're asking for billions. And uh, Iran has already uh, supported the Taliban by moving oil from its borders and directly into Afghanistan as they have received uh, weapon systems that they never had access to because of the sanctions now which the Taliban are providing for them for these type of resources. Well, let's talk a little bit about Iran. The Iranian president, Ibrahim Raisi, says he would like nuclear talks to resume, but without any pressure, while the Iranians say they don't want any preconditions set for negotiations, yet they've set a condition of their own by demanding the U.S. sanctions be lifted prior to direct talks with the Biden administration. Now, many geopolitical analysts say the United States is now perceived as being weak because of the way Biden left Afghanistan. So how do you think the Iranians are viewing the future of the Middle East? What moves should we expect from them? Well, the Iranians are already uh, completing their uh, Shia crescent. They are now in Afghanistan advising the current Taliban government on the ground. And actually, the Taliban, before they took um, uh, Kabul, they actually diverted with their force structures to initially take Herat. Why is that? Because Iran, for two months, wasn't able to move oil from Iran into Afghanistan as oil trucks were getting destroyed along that border. So it actually used the Taliban strategically for their benefit as it starts not pumping oil into the Taliban's hand. However, money makes it to the Taliban, regardless of which nation gives it to them, it will be funneled through that uh, capability of the Shanghai Corporation Organization, which has its 28 Jubilee currently led by China, 
back into Iran. Iran is in a much broader negotiation capability. As of today, the uh, leader of the uh, uh, commander of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps uh, made a warning also to northern Iraq, stating that any elements that are out there currently supporting the state of Israel and the United States uh, will see a, a broad and swift a response from the Iranian government for his own interests, meaning that uh, it's possible that although Iran is conducting drone strikes against uh, the Kurdish elements that were from Iran that are operating out of Iraq currently, it is possible that I might be looking for a broader reach into northern Iraq itself. So, so a stronger Iran and next door to Iran, American troops are set to withdraw fully from Iraq by the end of this year. Should Biden keep some of those troops there or leave Iraq to the Iraqis? Well, if you pull them out, you're going to see what we see currently. The day after Kabul fell, we got the words from our uh, commanders of Syrian Christian multi forces on the ground that are no longer on the battlefield but are still operational in other capacities. Uh, stated that ISIS has started manifesting itself. Uh, Turkey has scheduled a possible meeting with Erdogan, with the prime minister of uh, Iraq. Uh, because Turkey is looking at a broader action in Syria. You're looking at that probably taking place sometime before the end of the year. And Sargas, before you leave us, I've got to ask you about South Sudan. It's been almost three years since warring factions within the country signed a peace deal, yet we've seen a surge of fighting in western Equatoria State. Tell us what's going on in the city of Tambora. Yeah, President uh, Silva was never elected president uh, in South Sudan. He actually was appointed in that position. Um, and it's unfortunate. It's just the way it worked out when uh, Dr. John Garang uh, died in a, um, a helicopter crash. He assumed the position uh, for presidency of South Sudan. And when South Sudan became a nation, um, a, he just literally walked into that position. He's in a fight with his vice president, uh, the uh, two are jockeying to see who would be empowered. The problem with South Sudan is it will not work in this structure. If the president uh, steps down, the vice president takes over, it's going to be the same scenario as it is currently. You need to have an outsider to be able to come in and reset uh, South Sudan. South Sudan demographically is very young. So South Sudan needs young, capable, Western-looking leaders that can operate it. Otherwise, it will be nothing more than another failed African state led by a uh, corrupt leader. Uh, old uh, uh, enemies there, the Nuer and the Dinka, fighting over oil and fighting with one another. Okay, Sargas Ngari, CEO of the Near East Center for Strategic Engagement. Thanks, Sargas, for bringing us up to date and for sharing your insights. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Anytime. 20 years have now passed since 9-11. How did that tragic event, another day of infamy, change American society? Is the USA now safer, better protected from another similar act of terror? Well, joining us to provide some insights is Michelle Bachman, former member of Congress and dean of Regent University's Robertson School of Government. Dean Bachman, it's good to see you again. So please tell us, is the United States more or less safe than it was 20 years ago? I hate to respond, it is far less safe. In fact, it's extremely dangerous. I would say we're red alert status here in the United States. If you couple together an open southern border where literally millions of people are crossing our southern border, they're all unvetted, every single one of them. They're coming into the United States and now you couple that together with the absolute uh, collapse in Afghanistan of what we had our effort for 20 years, 
And then you see the mass migration of refugees out of uh, Afghanistan and surrounding areas to all places in the world. We have got a hot, very tragic set of circumstances on our case. And uh, we don't see a State Department. We don't see a Department of Defense. We don't see even uh, our law enforcement agencies at the federal level in a situation where they are doing something about this. And so the American people are kind of on their own here as far as national security goes. We have never been in a place like this before, ever, because the United States unilaterally um, relieved ourselves of almost $90 billion worth of weapons to terrorist organizations, many of which have already made their way to Iran. So we have weaponized very bad people who have designs and intentions to destroy the United States of America and our ally Israel. We've never been in a place like this before, Gary. Well, we've been strengthening our enemy. So now on domestic, on the domestic side, how do you think 9-11 changed our society for the better or for the worse, especially I'm thinking when it comes to privacy issues? It was a shattering. 911 was a shattering of the United States internally. Everyone knows that the United States was attacked at the epicenter of our economic uh, forces and also at our military forces. And what was the response from the United States Congress? To pass bill after bill after bill, we were told that it was for protecting the American people, but really what it's done, it's invaded the privacy of American businesses, of American individuals, all to set up giant databases that are controlled by the federal government. And so what we've seen since 9-11-2001 is big tech marrying up with big government, and that's come at the expense of privacy for the average American citizen. And perhaps cyber warfare poses a greater threat to the United States. Earlier this year, we saw cyber attacks against oil and gas and meat supplies, most recently at Howard University of all places. So how prepared are we to tackle that growing f threat? I would say we are not, unfortunately. This has been ongoing. The, the chief offender of cyber warfare is China, without a shadow of a doubt. I served on the Intelligence Committee, and there was a long study that was done, and it was clear. China is the chief offender. They steal from uh, corporate espionage. They steal from the federal government. They steal from private individuals. It isn't just that, though, Gary, that we are living through bio-warfare as well. That bio-warfare, in all likelihood, is from China also, that they are behind the Wuhan virus. And so if that is the case, look what they have done to bring down not only the United States of America, but the world. If you look at the collapse in Afghanistan, you ask yourself, who benefited from this collapse? If you look at the expanse of the virus here in America and across the world with COVID, who benefits? The conclusion, again, points to China. So China is not a good actor, but I think this is very sobering, but something that we need to understand, Gary, and it's this. I believe that the United States of America, as much as I don't want to say this, I believe that we have lost our superpower status on the global stage. Yes, we have military superiority, but we remember, again, Joe Biden lost a war that won by people that are riding around on pickup trucks with AR-15s. And finally, today, Regent University is holding a virtual broadcast, 9-11, a 20-year retrospective. Tell us a bit about it and how can people watch it? 
we're featuring an interview that I, I will be doing with Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, with the man who is the police commissioner of New York City on September 11th, 2001. That's Bernie Carrick. I also interviewed Attorney General John Ashcroft, who is U.S. Attorney General on the day of September 11th, and the Secretary of the Navy, uh, Admiral Vern Clark, as well as many others, including Rabbi Jonathan Kahn, who wrote the best-selling book, The Harbinger. I think the viewership will be extremely grateful that they watch this, but then to go back to regent.edu slash 911, regent.edu forward slash 911, for absolute must-see TV for a retrospective of September 11, 2001, until today with the collapse of Afghanistan. It is the hottest topic and the hottest issue out there. A significant event and some hard hitters there. Okay, Michelle Bachman, former member of Congress, Dean of Regent University's Robertson School of Government, thank you for sharing your time and your insights. Thank you, Gary. I appreciate it. 20 years later, remembering 9-11, honoring those who perished, their family members, and pausing to reflect on lessons learned and the challenges ahead. Well, joining us to provide his thoughts is Mitch Glazer, president of Chosen People Ministries. Dr. Glazer, it's good to have you with us. So I want to discuss the special gathering you have coming up. But first, 20 years later, this is a tough time of remembrance for our nation in light of America's complete withdrawal from Afghanistan and the Taliban now in control of the country that was once used as a base of operations for attacking the U.S. Your thoughts? When we planned the, 9, the 20th anniversary, I asked around to see how many Christians were actually doing something. And the answer after my research was almost none. And certainly the city will be doing some things. But I think that as believers in Jesus, we have a lot of reasons, uh, particularly for us as New Yorkers who are Jewish and believers in Jesus, we have a lot of reasons to honor our fallen heroes and the survivors and the uh, first responders who valiantly attempted to rescue people. And I a lot of us have skin in the game because my own daughter was traveling by subway under the World Trade Center when it collapsed. And I didn't hear from her until 4 p.m. She was at school on the Upper East Side. And uh, so there's tremendous emotions involved uh, with all of us on this 20th anniversary that's only been exacerbated by what happened in Afghanistan. And Mitch, our war on terror is far from over 20 years later. Do you, do you think America and the Middle East are safer or more dangerous now? I think that we have really been uh, clued in to Middle East men, a Middle Eastern mentality where there's tremendous uh, ability to wait and be patient. And so I don't think that the Taliban uh, did all of this overnight. I think they've been working on it for 20 years. And unfortunately, uh, when Al-Qaeda attacked our Twin Towers, uh, it, was the, it was the first time America was really touched by terrorism uh, in a long time. I was around when the first attack on the World Trade Center happened, when the blind sheikh was uh, eventually arrested. Uh, but nobody ever thought that there would be something like just happened. And so I think that uh, we're, we're, we need to be vigilant, Gary. We need to be prayerful and we need to be thoughtful and we need to encourage 
Homeland Security and all of our security agencies pray for them, uh, that they will uh, be able to do their jobs and take care of us, because I think that we're, we've always been vulnerable. We just didn't know it for, for a number of decades. Overall, it's changed our society. Also, it's changed the Middle East. How do you think it's changed the Middle East as well? I think that one of the ways it's changed the Middle East is that Americans, and particularly evangelicals, have become more sensitive to the terrorism that Israel goes through every day. Our attitudes towards Israel change as evangelicals. We always loved Israel, but now we identify with Israel and the struggles that Israel was going through. So and so I think that has dramatically changed. And I also think that the, many of the Muslim nations have decided that they don't want this kind of relationship with Israel or with the United States. And so the divisions internally in the Middle East, I think, are becoming clearer now as well as you have all these different factions uh, lining up. So I think it's a big difference than it was, bigger difference than it was 20 years ago, for sure. Well, and, and we've seen the Abraham Accords with a number of uh, Muslim uh, nations uh, now in relationship with Israel. But Chosen People Ministries, in partnership with Alliance for the Peace of Jerusalem, is holding a special two-day gathering at Trinity Baptist Church in New York. Tell us about it. How does that differ from other 9-11 events? Well, we'll be doing a lot more praying and a lot more worshiping. We have Marty Getz and his daughter uh, coming, and actually Marty wrote a, a, a special uh, hymn for 9-11 that we are going to uh, introduce that day, and it's absolutely uh, beautiful. We have Ann Graham Lotz coming, Joel Rosenberg, who's going to give us some of the background on uh, the Abraham Accords and so on. Daryl Bach from Dallas Seminary, Mike Rodelnik, Bible Answer Man from Moody. And uh, so we're going to have a, a lot of frontline workers who who are believers who uh, came in and helped with the disaster. We have folks from Billy Graham, a Samaritan's Purse, and we also have folks coming from the Southern Baptists. And some of these groups did a tremendous amount of phenomenal work. And they've never really been properly recognized and honored. So... And then finally, we're going to we're going to talk about the backstory of what God did in the middle of 9-11. People got saved. Churches grew. Bible studies increased. People shared the gospel with thousands of people. And that story has never quite been heard. OK, we'll be looking for that. Dr. Mitch Glazer, president of Chosen People Ministries. Thanks for sharing your time with us. Thank you. And remember, Gary, they can watch it online if they can't make it to New York. And, we, and even though we're serving corned beef sandwiches for lunch, I don't understand why anybody would want to pass it up. But it will be online as well. That's a long way to go for a good corned beef sandwich, but sometimes it's worth it. Sometimes. Thank you, Dr. Glazer. Appreciate it. Thank you, Gary. The federal government says it doesn't want to resettle Afghan refugees into the state of California. The reason? It's too expensive for them. And it's not only Afghan refugees who may find the state too expensive. Californians are at a breaking point. Many are leaving the state. No wonder. They're being taxed to death, and their mismanaged state is in decline. If you own a median-priced home in California, and your income is just under $58,000 per year, you pay a total of about $9,300 in state income and property taxes. Many Californians pay a state and local sales tax rate of up to 10%. And motorists pay fuel taxes of more than $1 per gallon. Fewer jobs are available. 
The unadjusted July unemployment rate of 7.9% was more than 2% higher than the rate for the entire country. And state unemployment fraud is expected to top $9 billion. Power shutdowns are now a regular part of life in California, and that's causing tech companies to consider leaving. A lack of forest management is resulting in destructive wildfires, causing billions of lost dollars to homes, property, and businesses. A lack of water storage facilities is one reason the state is suffering from a water crisis. California also faces an impending fiscal crisis over debt, especially for state pension funds and infrastructure. And many voters say they're tired of COVID-19 shutdowns and the lack of transparency. They say Governor Newsom is hiding important coronavirus data from the public. And homelessness has gotten worse in Los Angeles and San Francisco during Gavin Newsom's time as governor. So with all of this happening, will Newsom survive? Polls show he's ahead, but it may depend on turnout. And some Californians are expressing concerns over potential voter fraud. These holes in ballot return envelopes in L.A. County make it easy to detect how people voted. Yes or no votes could easily be tossed by dishonest election officials or postal workers. Ballot theft is also of concern. 300 ballots were found in the backseat of a felon's car. And this video showed two women stealing ballots from an apartment building mailbox. Should Governor Newsom be recalled? Well, there are some good reasons to send the governor packing. It's an issue for Californians to decide if an honest and fair election is held. But at this point, it's questionable whether it will be fair or honest. 22 million ballots were sent out to voters. Why? There's no reason people cannot vote safely in person. Ballot harvesting, especially at nursing homes, along with a massive mail-in ballot system, means this recall election is ripe for fraud. Don't be surprised to see counting stopped or delayed. That's usually a sure sign that votes will be counted until the desired outcome is achieved. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and NRB channels, social media, and our broadcast affiliates. And until next time, be blessed.